Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. Good to be with you this morning. Hey, I just want to give a shout to the New Vision family, all those that helped at the Harvest Festival last Sunday. Man, it was a blast to see all those people out there. Um, got to meet new faces. I hope if you're from there uh, last week, welcome to New Vision this morning. Um, grateful for your service as a family. We cannot do the work unless you guys jump on board with it. And so it was so great to see for our first kind of one coming out again after covid First outreach, what a blessing it was to see all the families and people from the neighborhood. So thank you again for serving. Hey, just want to remind you, we got a Sunday night service tonight. So if you want to jump in and come visit us, or if you're online and want to catch the evening service or whatever it is, um, Pastor Brent's going to be teaching tonight. Bring him out, bring some of the other pastors in to teach a little bit. I want you guys to come out and join us tonight, if you would like, at five o'clock. Hey, we're going to continue on our, our sermon a study or series through the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Jonah that's in the Old Testament. It's in the minor prophet section. So we go to the Old Testament, go to the back of the Old Testament. There's a bunch of weird names there. There are a lot of minor prophets. And the book of Jonah is where we've been traveling through and journeying through. I hope you've been blessed by the study. I've been blessed and been encouraged by it. This morning, my sermon title is called A Storm of Salvation. A Storm of Salvation. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, look at verses 10 through 16 this morning as we've been journeying through this book. And this book is, is really all about salvation. We started, we're going to look at the salvation of Jonah. We're going to look at the salvation of the sailors. We're going to look at salvation of the Ninevites. And we're going to even look at the opportunity for our own opportunity to come to understand this knowledge of Jesus, our own salvation this morning. In fact, the word salvation, uh, it means to be delivered or rescued from sin, danger, or harm. That's what salvation is. Somebody saved me from my own danger, from my own harm. And we know that as we look at the story this morning, it's really a rescue mission. It's, that's what it is. It's a rescue mission. And, um, and, and we know that the storms of life, if you look at this story, we know that the storms of life come quickly, without warning, as you will see in this story. Let me tell you a story of a storm that took place November 10th, 1975. The USS Edmund Fitzgerald sank in the Canadian waters, killing 29 people. They were caught in the midst of one of the greatest and worst storms in the Great Lakes. In fact, the last words from the ships were, we are holding our own. And then they lost radio and radar contact, never to be seen or heard of again. In fact, the mariners of the SS Inman were trying to sail to safe harbors, but never made it. As you begin to look at the story of Jonah and the story we've been studying we find the sailors in the same situation. They're, they're in a storm trying to sail to save harpers. And I think today, like the mariners of those days, guys, I think people are trying to sail to safe harbors today. They're trying to find their way out of a, the storms. Guys, we're going to be throwing, thrown in our lives many, many different types of storms. And how do we begin to navigate those storms to get to safe harbor, Right? What's the storms that we might hear? What's the storms that might come our way? We might just get news of cancer. We might just get news of COVID. We might just get news 
of a lost job or six children or a lost sibling. Those are the storms that can be easily thrown our way. You put in that word. What is that storm that you might just be going through? What is that news? What, what is some information you got that just might be taking you through some storms today? Because we're not exempt from the storms. But we, have, but we have to understand the Lord is our safe harbor. And we'll be caught, or if we don't understand that, we'll be caught in rough, on a raft on rough waters or on a ship that appears to be sinking. That's the picture you see here in the book of Jonah. There are some rough waters, or should I say some rough seas in the story. So we're going to continue the story where we laugh. We're going to continue the, the saga as Jonah's identity has been revealed, and we know the purpose of the storms as we have read earlier in the, in the chapter. And that's why I'm calling this chapter a storm of salvation because we're looking at part two of last week's sermon. We know that Jonah is a type of Christ. What does that mean? It means he's, he's not Christ, but we see different aspects of Christ who are in him. And so he, he's really a foreshadow of Christ. It's a, it's a picture of the things that Christ would do. Even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, even in the midst of his call, even in the midst of everything, God will still use him even when he doesn't want to be used. Well, what has gone on in the story? The story begins with his call by the Lord to go to Nineveh and preach about its wickedness, but Jonah chooses not to go. He, he actually doesn't go east, he goes west. He doesn't go to the Middle East, he actually goes west to Spain, over 2,500 miles from Joppa. He's running as farthest as he away from God after he hears the call. But what does God do? We talked about the mercy storms. Right, He sends a storm as he's on the ship, on the bottom of the ship. He sends a storm to go after Jonah. And the sailors don't know what to do with this storm. They're panicking. They're throwing things overboard. They're trying to make the ship live. They're doing everything they can to save themselves until they get some revelation of who Jonah is and why the storms are and who God is. He's the God that created the earth and the heavens and the seas and Jonah reveals what has been happening. And this is where we're continuing on in the story. This morning, we'll be looking at three questions we have to ask ourselves. So my sermon's message this morning is a little different because I'm going to propose three questions and ask with questions and challenge you with questions because you can only be the ones that answer these questions. So let's look at chapter 1, verse 10, and I'm going to read it from there to verse 16. It says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may, calm, may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for, the man, for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered up a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning as we continue on with this story. And this story is here for our purpose. This is a, a real story. This is a legit story. This isn't a make-believe story. 
But I ask this morning, Lord, that we would look at this story and how does it touch us today? What's the message of the story? How are you calling us to be with you? And Lord, I know we've, we've journeyed through different storms in our lives, and I know that we are here today because you pulled us out of those storms. But I pray this morning that the word of the Lord would go forth and fall on, on good soil, Lord, on a heart that's ready to receive, that, Father, we begin to answer some questions this morning that we have to face, and that, Father, the truth will set us free. The truth will draw us near. So we thank you, we, we praise you, and we honor you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen, amen. We're going to ask three questions this morning. Here's the first question. What shall we do to be saved? What shall we do to be saved? First John, I mean, uh, Jonah 1, chapter 10, verse 12. If you read any of the scriptures, there's a lot of stories. I love to tell the stories of the Bible. One is found in Acts, the 16th chapter. In the 16th chapter, Paul and Silas have been on a missionary journey. They're proclaiming the gospel. And what goes on? They get arrested for preaching the gospel. And they get thrown into a jail. They're incarcerated for their faith. They're suffering for righteousness' sake, not for unrighteousness. And they're, they've been beaten. They've been thrown in a jail. And here they're sitting in a jail cell in the middle of the night. And they're worshiping God, the scripture says. They're singing and everybody could hear them. Can you imagine being in a prison cell and you're singing songs? That's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing in this prison. And as they're worshiping God, suddenly there's a big earthquake. And it shook the foundations of the prison so hard that the prison gates bust open. And in the midst of all the chaos, there's a Philippian jailer. A guard that's on watch. And when the kind of the dust storm, the storm, the dust settles, he pulls out a knife because he knows that as the gates have been busted open, the prisoners will run out. And the law was if a jailman or a correction officer allowed one to escape the jail, that he would be killed. But something happens. He pulls his knife out to kill himself when Paul and Silas says, whoa, stop it. Don't harm yourself. We are still here. And the jailer grabs the light, runs into the cell, and sees Paul and Silas still in the cell. He falls to his knees, crying out and said, just worshiping, I said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. The Philippian jailer asked the right question. What shall I do to be saved? Well, let's look at Jonah's story to answer that question. Here's another question. Why do we have the storms we see today? Why do we have the storms we see? Look at verses 10. It says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. In the fear, in their distress, the sailors ask a question. Speaking to Jonah, why have you done this to us? What were you thinking? They already know that this tempest, this storm, that Jonah was the cause of it because of his rebellion. What was happening here? You have to understand that, that sin was present 
in Jonah's life. And that's what began to separate him from God because he was trying to get out of the presence of God. He was trying to run out of the presence of God. In his rebellion, he broke relationship with God and fellowship with God. And he's running as far as he could because that's what sin will do. It, it will separate us from the presence and the power of God. Because he failed to heed God's call and command to go out to Nineveh, there's a storm that has erupted. Let me ask you a question. It's all about questions today because I just want you to answer them quietly in your own heart. What is motivating you from not obeying your God today? What is motivating you? What is it that's not hindering you from obeying God today? Let me tell you where the storms come from. Because I want to answer the questions, why we have the storms today. Why, why we have these storms today. Storms are founded in the brokenness from the fall. Storms are founded from the brokenness of the fall. We know that just a, a month ago, remember we had the thunderstorms here? Right? And the lightning, the thunder. You, you know that a storm is coming and there's, because there's warning signs. You know that the temperature changes, the clouds appear, the wind begins to blow. There's evidence of a storm on the horizon. Guys, we're seeing all these evidence of these storms all around us. They're on the horizon and it's, it's percolating. It's getting, it's getting bigger and it's, it's beginning to develop. In fact, the storms we saw, which were unusual a month ago, with the lightning and the thunder, they were ominous and frightening at times. If you had a dog, he would, my dad ran under the bed because he was so afraid of the, the loud noise. But I believe these storms that we see, the physical sense of the issues we see in our communities and our marriages and all that we see are rooted in the fall in the garden found in the book of Genesis. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. The book of Genesis means beginning. And it's at the beginning that man was created. It was at the beginning that man fell. It was at the beginning that sin entered in to all humanity. It was at the beginning we saw men putting themselves before God. It was all at the beginning, right? God had given Adam a command to follow when he created Adam in his likeness, in his image. We call it the Imago Dei. He got, man was created in the image of God. And, and when he created man, he, he gave him a command. And what was that command? That he should not eat of the, knowledge of, truth, uh, truth, of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you partake of this tree, surely you shall die. That was the command. Do not partake of this tree. Do you remember that there was another tree in the garden? There was actually two trees. We only focus on this one tree. But there actually was a tree of life in the garden. That tree of life will be in heaven again. But the fact is there was two trees, but God gave a command to not partake of the tree of good and evil. For the day you do, you shall surely die. So he gave a command and a warning and a consequence if you disobey this command. And in that time, he created a helpmate. He created a woman named Eve. But also there was a created serpent, Satan we know, comes in and begins to deceive the woman and the man, and they partook of the tree or the fruit of the tree, and then that they saw they were naked, and right away they hid themselves because they experienced shame for the first time. Have you ever felt shame when you've done something wrong? That's the natural experience that we would have when we know things are wrong. And it was at this point that sin entered the whole world. In fact, Romans 5, 12 says, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 
Sin just means we miss the mark. Sin, the mark is perfection. We are not perfect people. It's taken from an ancient time when they used to shoot arrows and used to hit the target. And if you miss the target with arrow, they said, sin, you missed the mark. The mark is Christ. The mark is perfection. We've all missed the mark. That's why Paul writes that we've all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one perfect in this room. And if you think you're perfect today, you just lied. And so now you're imperfect. You've fallen short. From the time of the fall, guys, Death entered in, right? Death entered in. I find it interesting. One generation into Adam and Eve, you find Cain and Abel, and you find their sibling rivalry, and one brother kills another brother, and we have domestic sibling rivalry, and death entered into one generation. One generation. Go six generations in, and you get into the story of Noah where every inclination of man's heart was evil and is about a scythe. And what did he use? He used a storm to destroy the earth, but saved a family, a generation that was righteous, Noah, that leads to the line of Christ, that leads to our continual line of humanity. But sin was still evident, the brokenness of our relationship with God. The reason we have storms today is because of our own brokenness in relationship with God. We made ourselves to be God we done what was right in our own eyes, in, in our own ways, in our own theology, in our own belief systems. If, if you look at one generation in and they go six generation in, how many generations are we now in? How far have we gone away from God? And our culture has chosen to not put God first, but put, to put themselves first. For we know that this, for the wages of sin is death. That was what scripture says. The ultimate purpose of the fall and Satan's temptation with Adam and Eve in the garden was to lead people to death. And the storms we face in this world are a byproduct of the fall. In general, we see disease that leads to death. The coronavirus that is left from death, the injustice, the hatred. We see the lust for money, sex, power is rooted in the fallen nature. It stemmed all the way back from the garden. That's where the storm was brewing and began. And we've been in this storm this whole time. But we're so used to the storm, we think it's natural. We think it's normal. Read the book of Acts of men that said they came and turned the world upside down. Really, what they did is they put the world right side up. Because <laughs> the world is upside down. We've called good evil and evil good. That's the root of the storm. That's what we're facing today. Look what Paul the apostle, who wrote this in the first century church, he says this. But know this. In the last days, our perilous times will come. He's talking about storms. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. These are the tempest times. This is the storm that we're seeing today in our social media, on our TV, news, paper, communities, 
we're seeing all this played out in front of our eyes. You don't think that's a storm? Because of our brokenness and our way that we don't walk in community as God's called us to walk in community of loving our neighbor. So here's another question. Here's a question. What do we need to do to stop the storm? What do we need to do to stop the storm? We have storms brewing. It started from the garden. How do we stop this? Look at 11 and 12. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea is growing more tempestuous. And he said to him, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. What's happening here? The sailors have come to understand the cause of the storm, and it was Jonah. But they realized that the storm was getting worse. The waves are getting bigger, and they needed to do something. They, needed to, they had to respond to the, what was happening, right? The sailors were getting seasick because they were being tossed around by the storm. Here's another thought, guys. How many people have been tossed around because of your mess, because of your storm? It just doesn't cost you. It costs others. Whose storm have you been doing? What's the storm that you have been bringing? I was watching a documentary with my wife last week on Mount St. Helen in 1980 when it exploded and nobody took it serious. They saw it getting up, they saw the mountain and it just blew up and the intensity of the, the ash and the intensity of the explosion wiped out trees for 12 miles or more. They were just unput, these, these, these trees in, in the mountains were just uprooted and just laid flat by the, by the storm of this volcano. And we, they, let, they saw the, the residue of the mess. What is the residue of your mess? What was, the, what was the evidence of that storm? Listen, these sailors knew Jonah is the key to calm the storm. And so they, they direct a question to Jonah. He is the prophet. He should know these things. He's a prophet from God. But I want you some, do you see the grace and mercy extended to Jonah by the sailors? Because the sailors could have did what? Killed Jonah, thrown him overboard, and everything would have been cool. But they didn't do that. They asked him a question. You know, what must we do to stop the storm? What must we do to stop the storm in our lives? How do we stop the cyclone of our own world? How do we stop the craziness in this world? And I think they're trying to approach it, the sailors, from the physical, but there has to be through the spiritual. Sometimes we try to solve our problems in the physical instead of realizing that there's a spiritual element to the storms. There's a spiritual element to what we're seeing. This is how they begin to stop the storms. Here it is. Jonah, Jonah takes ownership of his own mess, his own sin. He takes ownership of his own sin. Guys, we want to stop the storms of our life. We have to take ownership of our own mess. We have to take responsibility for our chaos. And he begins to say that in order to come clean, in order to be clean, we have to come clean. We got to take ownership. 
What does it promise us? If we confess our sins one to another, he is faithful, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jonah's coming clean. He takes responsibilities for his own action. He says, hey, this tempest is because of me. The storm is because of me, right? He's come to, Jonah's come to some revelation about his situation and how it has affected others. I'm hoping that in the midst of the storm, you're coming to some revelation how it's not only touching you, but it's touching other people. Jonah has come to realize that his own rebellion is affecting this whole ship. And so he confesses his sin. And what is it? He's saying, the God that I believe is just in doing what he's doing. They are just acts. This is a perfect storm. This is a storm for salvation. God will produce, come after you through storms in such a way to draw you to him. So Jonah says, not only wants to take his own action, Jonah sacrificed himself for the sake of others. Right? We begin to see Jonah's heart change. You want to stop the storm? Throw me overboard. Because I know when you throw me overboard, the storms are going to stop. The rage is going to stop. The waves are going to stop. The wind's going to stop. All this stuff's going to stop. It's all going to stop. The storms will cease when you throw me over. I'm willing to take the wrath of the waves is what Jonah was saying. I'm willing to take the judgment of the waves. I'm willing to take what is due me. Interesting. He was fleeing from God to not show mercy to the Ninevites. And now he's extending mercy to these sailors, sailors by giving of himself. The ultimate act of love is to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. He didn't even know them. But he's willing to sacrifice himself in order to calm the seas. 1 John 3.16 says this, For we know what real love, agape love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our own brothers and sisters. Biblical love, love that's in the Bible, not earthly love, because there's a difference. Biblical love is self-sacrificing or self-giving. What Jonah is saying, I will take the judgment of God so you won't have to. John Stotts, the great theologian, said this, agape love means self-sacrifice and the service of others. Our culture defines love basically as a transaction for our self-fulfillment. People stay in relationships as long as they are benefiting from it. Reasons for divorce, irreconcilable differences. I'm not getting what I want. That is why we are a divided nation. We want our rights. We are a self-centered culture which produced a counseled culture. That's what we have today. We're more interested about our own rights than the rights of others and the welfare of others and the care for others. And so I don't want to hear, if you don't believe the way I believe and act the way I believe, I'm just going to cut you off. That's the culture we live in. I said that Jonah was a type of Christ. Jesus became our sacrifice for sin. He was a substitutionary atonement, right? Think about the life of Jesus. Jesus was caught in the storm of humanity. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it, to rescue it, for salvation is only found in the Lord. He came to pay the penalty of sin and, and to take on the wrath of God for us all. 
He substituted himself for us because that's true love. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin that we might be made right. And his sacrifice calmed the storms of God's wrath and judgment because judgment is on man if it doesn't turn. So we're answering that, that very first question what shall we do to be saved? <laughs> but here's the second question, guys, I want to ask you as we come to number two. Will our hard work save us and others? Will our hard work save us and others? Jonah 1.13, right? You know, we, we live in a culture that teaches us to work hard and we'll be rewarded. We have control of our own destiny. But faith is different Faith is not putting our trust in self, but in some, someone else. We have to let go in order to let God work in our lives. There was this young man who made a commitment to Christ and wanted to follow God. He wanted to do everything to please God. And he thought if he worked hard, that would be pleasing to God. And so he had these letters pinned up on his door. And it always said, let God, let God. And so every day he would look as he walked out his front door, he saw let God. And every day he'd go and try to do a good deed. Every day he would try to work harder. Every day he'd try to be holier. Every day he would try to do it. But in these things, trying to follow the commandments of God, in these things, he was getting frustrated because he could never meet the standard of God. He, didn't, he felt like he didn't pray enough or didn't read enough or didn't help as many people enough. And he would get frustrated in his own works and trying to please and, and honor God. And one day he came home and he's just crying to God, I, 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 what's wrong with me? I'm trying to do good, God. And his frustration, he slammed the front door and the word letters, let God, the D fell off and it said, let go. We have to let go in order to let God. God, guys, it's not about trying harder or being more holy or being more righteous. That's what happened to the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and God called them a, a brood of vipers, Jesus did. Because we could become self-righteous. We're not the savior of ourself. God is our savior. Look at 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Does our faith require us to work harder? They saw their trials, the sailors saw their trials, difficulties in the physical and not in the spiritual. You see the heart of the sailors in some sense. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. That's the last thing on their minds, right? even this rebellious prophet that brought this problem, they don't want to throw him over. Nevertheless, they rode hard. They wanted to save Jonah in their own strength. They wanted to do this work, and, and the harder they worked, the more temptuous it got. It's like as if they were working, trying to get to the shore, and the wind just said, nope, I'm going to keep blowing. You're not going to make it, and you're just, you're getting tired. You're getting weak. Sometimes in your own faith, that's how you feel like, I'm trying hard, God, I'm trying to do this, and you just become exhausted spiritually exhausted because the harder they try to row and get to the boat, the more the storm pressed on them. 
as a side note, guys, when people are in rebellion and they don't want to come to their own senses, there's nothing you could do to help them. The, the prodigal son didn't come to his senses until he ended up in a pigsty with pigs eating garbage. Come on, come on. That that's when he came to his senses and went back to the father. And sometimes we want to help people. We want to row and help them when they don't even want the help. Sometimes you want to help them more than they want to help themselves sometimes. You know what you do in that sick and circumstance situation? You turn them over to the Lord. You pray and you let God bring the tempest in their own lives. You let God bring the storm in their own lives to get their attention. I always say God's got a bigger belt than me. And he, he disciplines those he loves, Amen. right? But in some ways, they didn't want to reap the consequences of their own actions by throwing a man overboard, Right? Sometimes in our faith, we're working in our own strength. In Matthew chapter 14, weird story, I'm reminded of when the disciples were caught in their own storm. And they rode to get back to the shore, but they couldn't because the storm was pressing against them, right? And that's when Jesus walked on the water. He's on the shores. It's the storm. It's night. Sea of Galilee's blowing. They're pressing hard to get back. They know they're in trouble. Jesus walks out to the water. And they, and they think it's a ghost. They're tripping out like, man, are we seeing things? And then Peter says, is that you, Lord? Yes. And I love Peter because he's, he's so, like, arrogant sometimes. My name's Peter, so I know what that means. If that's really you, Lord, let me come out to you. Let me walk on water. Come on, homie. Let's do it. <laughs> Jesus calls his bluff, right? He calls his bluff. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he is walking on the water until he put his eyes on the storm. See, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can walk on water. We can do impossible things that he could only do through our life. But as soon as we get our eyes on the storm, that's when Peter fell. And he said, save me. Jesus, like a loving father, grabs him. Come on. Let's get in the boat, mijo. <laughs> he gets in the boat, calms the storm, and they worship God. See, when we, when we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord... God will help us navigate in the midst of the crazy storm when it's blowing and crazy. But what we have a tendency to do is take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on the storm. And then we try to navigate with our own strength to get out of the storm and our situations and our circumstances and we make up things, we try to do things. Guys, that life's exhausting. That's an exhausting life. Jesus meets us in our weakness. And we are saved by his grace, not our works. Now, doesn't mean we don't have works, guys. We are created for good works. But we aren't saved by our works. We're trying to please God. 
we are saved by grace. We already pleased God when we receive him. We're not even saved by our good intentions. We're saved because of his love. So here's another question. Why do you think, why do you think things get harder when you try harder? Have you ever felt like that? I'm really trying and it just seems to be getting harder. You know what? I'm not saying that this walk by faith is easy. Tiptoe through the tulips. Everything's cool, right? It's a difficult walk because the Bible says we enter the kingdom through tribulation, through trials, through difficulties, right? Jesus in his own incarnation, Jesus when he became flesh, faced troubled times. Paul had his most difficult times physically and emotionally in the service of the Lord. He was cast in the oceans. He was beaten. He was hungry. He was homeless. He went through some hard times. Jesus went through some hard times. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was a homeless cat. He had his moments of difficulties and trials. But the, the idea of trying harder is really an attempt to reach God and be good people. I'm not calling you to be good people. I'm calling you to be lover of Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus, and that will affect everything you do. We can see the words of Jesus, take up your cross and follow me, as the way he calls us to try harder. Or we could look at the apostle Peter's writing, be holy for I am holy. We could read those things and say, oh, I gotta try to be more holy, or God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cast everything off and, and uh, crucify myself and beat myself up. In the Philippines, you know what they do in the Philippines during the Easter time? They actually have human sacrifices on crosses for their repentance. It's a practice today. You don't have to do that. Jesus said he died once and for all for all of us. It is sufficient. From the cross, he said it was finished. What? The work of salvation was finished at the cross. His work. We receive his work. His work for us. See, I want you to understand that God at faith has given you a divine nature. And he says that you've been given everything you need for godliness. So we don't need to try to earn that. He's already given it to us. And his grace is sufficient and his strength is manifested in our own weakness. And so Christ in us, Christ lives in us and we walk with that understanding. He's renewing us day by day. He's doing a work with us day by day. So we aren't called to try harder we are called to rest and abide in him. John 15, read that. That's your homework. Because when I abide in him, I bear much fruits. When I rest in him, I bear much fruits. We're called to be spiritual hedonists, to take pleasure in God. That's what we're called to do. So here's the last question. Can the sacrifice of one man's life save us all? Jonah 1, 14 to 16. I'm reminded of a story that I read about Ernest Gordon, who was a prisoner of war during World War II. He recounts a story. He says, at the end of the day of forced labor, the guards counted the shovels, and one of them was apparently missing. A furious guard threatened the POWs that unless the guilty person confesses, he would kill them all. He cocked his gun to start shooting them one by one. And at that moment... One of the prisoners stepped forward and calmly said, I did it. And he stood quietly at attention and he did not open his mouth. Here's another homework assignment. Isaiah 53, 7, if you're taking notes, look it up. As he was beaten to death, he didn't open his mouth as he was beaten to death. And when they all got back to the camp and counted the shovels again, it turned out they were all there. 
the man has sacrificed himself to save others. Can the sacrifice of this man be held against us? They wanted to throw Jonah. They were hesitant about throwing up Jonah, but they decided, hey, what we're doing isn't working. We're trying harder. We're doing all this thing. It isn't working. The only option is to cast Jonah overboard. Look at verse 14. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with his innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're trying to save their own lives and Jonah's lives, but now it's not working. They're praying, Lord, what we are about to do, don't hold it against us. Don't put, it, don't put it on us, right? But I think the sailors remembered Jonah, the prophet's words. The sea will cease when you throw me over. Now they have to believe Jonah's words. The prophet's word. Now they're beginning to display some form of faith. I got to trust the words of the prophet. The one who's supposed to be representing God. And so they, they prayed two things, right? With humility, they requested to, to let us not perish with Jonah. And the second thing is, don't charge us with innocent blood when we do this. Lord, don't, don't hold it against us. They didn't want the blood of Jonah on their hands. But I'm reminded of the Jesus when he was in trial and he was before Pilate. And Pilate wanted to give him Barabbas instead of Jesus. But the people called out for Barabbas. We release Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate said, this man, Jesus, was an innocent man. And he took water and he washed his hand before the people, stating, I'm innocent of the blood of this man, Pilate said. You know what the Jews responded was? This was their response. His blood be on us and our children. His blood be on us and our children. And they released Barabbas and scored and crucified Christ. The sailor is saying, I don't want his blood on us. Pilate says, I'm washing my hands of this blood. They, were, they knew something about who God was as it relates to the words of Jonah. Listen, are we going to be held accountable for the things we do? Yes, the Bible talks about accountability. There's two judgments in the Bible. There's the judgment for the believer and there's a the judgment for the unbeliever. The judgment for the believer is called the Bema Seat. It's not about whether you get into heaven, you're gonna get into heaven. It's a judgment about what you did on this side of heaven for the kingdom. Your, 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 words, your work's gonna be tested by fire and if it, if it endures fire, then there's rewards and gifts that you'll get. It's not about salvation. You're saved already. What did you do to invest in the work of kingdom and spreading the gospel and just ministering and loving your neighbor? God's going to look at that and judge you as a believer, not whether you go heaven or hell. You're already in heaven. You're already in. You got the ticket. You got the trains coming. You got that by faith. But we are going to be held accountable to the things that we've been given because when much is given, much is required. But then there's the judgment of the unbeliever. The great white throne judgment in the book of Revelations, the latter part of Revelation, talks about the unbeliever who didn't receive Christ, 
who walked away from God, when he had the opportunity, he will be judged not by his works. He'll be judged whether he received Jesus, whether he stood to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. See, the thing about God is he's a loving God. Emma talked about how he knocks on your heart. He knocks on your heart because he's a gentleman. He doesn't kick down your door. You have to open up that door. You have to let him in. For this is the work of God that you believe upon me, Jesus said. That's the work that we do. We just have to understand that and be held responsible for that. See, God gives us a choice. That's the thing about this beautiful country. We get choices, right? God gives us a choice. Either be with him or not be with him. I don't understand it when people say, man, I want to be a believer, but I don't want to go to church. You're going to have a hard time with heaven. Because this gathering is the presence of God. If you don't want that, why would you want to go to heaven? If this is hard, right? Come on now. Can a sacrifice of one man be sufficient to calm the storm? 15, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Jonah was sacrificed for the salvation of the sailors. What did they do? They lifted him up. They threw him overboard into the depths of the sea. The tempest stopped. The storm stopped. The hurricane ceased. The clouds cleared. It was a sacrifice that calmed the storms. That's why we call it the storm of salvation. And what at that moment, these sailors witnessed a miracle. A miracle. In their mind, there was no other God who could stop the storms. Only Jonah's God, the God who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. What was that moment for you? What was that miracle for you? What was that moment where you saw God? This was their Damascus road, like Paul saw God. Where's that moment where you realize who God is and you called upon his name and he's beginning to do that miracle instantaneously in your heart where the light bulb went on, when there was that aha moment, when the spirit fell on you, when whatever you have experienced, when was that moment in your life? Maybe you haven't had that moment yet. They're having that moment. This moment changed them. Something happened to them in this moment. It was a miraculous moment. And when they cast Jonah over, in verse 17, it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We're going to get into that next week. But there was a man who was sacrificed himself for us. Jesus was sacrificed for the salvation of all men. John the Baptist introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was God in the flesh, born of a virgin, cast into the storm of a fallen humanity, and Jesus referred to himself as one greater than Jonah. He was a man tempted by all things, but without sin. He was the suffering prophet, beaten for our transgressions, because by his stripes we are healed. He was lifted up on a cross. He was cast in the depths of the grave for three days and three nights. He descended before he ascended. He defeated death, destroyed the one who had the power of death, and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. He paid the ransom notes. And Jesus becomes the door of salvation. He was the one cast overboard because he came to his own, his own did not receive him. So the question comes back to the same questions that the Philippian jailer asked. What must we do to be saved? First of all, we're saved by grace through faith, right? 
And all who believe, receive him, shall become children of God. John 1, 12. Romans says this, 10, 9 through 13, that if you confess your mouth, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confesses made unto salvation. For the scripture says that whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over is, is a rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A God who substitutes himself for us and suffers so we may go free is a God that we can trust. So here's the question, another question as I close. Can the sacrifice of one man change lives? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered the sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. The sailors would become the first harvest before the great revival in Nineveh. <laughs> there was a revival on a boat before there was a revival on land. There was a revival at sea before there was a revival in the big city. Maybe God's prepping Jonah. He doesn't even know it yet. He's in the belly of a whale right now. Sometimes we don't even see the work that God's done in us. We're going through our own mess and God's being glorified with your mess. I don't know how many people who've come to our church, a friend brought them and they're in their mess. They leave the church, but the other people stay. God will still use you in your mess for his agenda, right? We see three things happen to the sailors as they come to faith, right? They have a reverent fear from God. They have a reverent fear for God, right? The darkness of the storm ceases and the light of understanding resonates with the sailors. Sometimes our suffering will draw us to the Savior. And the fear, they, they feared the storm earlier, now they have the fear of the Savior. The fear just changed. It just, it's, now it's, and now the, the word fear means reverent fear, awe fear. Not a horrifying, terrifying fear, but a reverent fear of God. There needs to be a healthy, reverent fear of God. It scares me when people say, only God can judge me. Oh yeah, only God can judge you. Be careful when you ask for that. Be careful what you ask for, right? The word here, fear, means godly fear. So they have a reverent fear to the God that just calmed the storm. Think about it. They were just earlier in the chapter were worshiping multiple gods. He says they called to their own God. Remember earlier in the story? Now they're focused on one God. And they had a reverent fear of God. They directed to one God. We have one, we serve one God today. Three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're three in one. They worshiped God, it says, right? They made an offering, right? I could only imagine at this moment they're beginning to throw all their idols overboard. All their fake gods, all their made-up statue gods that have eyes that can't see, an ear that can hear, and a mouth that can't speak. They're casting them over, right? And they begin to worship the true and living God, the one who calmed the storms. They've now become to be living sacrifice, right? Now, I don't know what happened. We don't know what happened to the sailors when they get back to shore. We don't know if they went to worship and get a part of the family. We don't know that story, but something happened because they just changed their whole worship. And lastly, it says they made vows. They made commitments to God. They made a, a confession of faith. Something, when you make a vow, like you make a vow at a wedding, you're, you're making a commitment some ways, there was a wedding moment for them. They're making a commitment to the God that just calmed the seas. A commitment to the God that Jonah followed. 
And so I, I want to leave you with these questions, four questions, as we finish here and the worship team comes forward. How is your current situation drawing you to Christ or away from Christ? How is your current situation drawing you to Christ or away from Christ? You have to answer that in the privacy of your own heart. Here's the second question. How is your current situation, are you trusting yourself or Christ? In your current situation, how are you trusting yourself or Christ? Third question. What is hindering you from putting your trust in Christ? What is hindering putting your trust in Christ? And lastly, do you think Christ can change you? Do you think that Christ can change you? I want to leave you with these four questions that maybe you'll sit down later and maybe begin to answer them in the privacy in your room or heart or whatever. Because that'll value where you are in your own relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and grace. And Lord, I, I'm praying this morning because I cannot walk away from the fact that in this story, a storm of salvation came and men called on your name. And they begin to worship you and make commitments to you. But they had to go through the storm and you brought them out of the storm. They couldn't bring themselves out of the storm. Only you could bring them out of the storm. And I don't know where people are this morning with you, whether they put their faith in you or not, or they're just checking you out or not, or they're curious. Maybe they're even convinced they believe you're God, but they haven't made that commitment to you, Lord. I want to pray for them this morning. Wherever your body is, wherever your family is this morning, Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them and care for them very much. And so I'm praying for them this morning. Praying that the Spirit of God has been working on their hearts. If you're here this morning and maybe you've never made that confession of faith, maybe you've never trusted God, and it's hard to trust in something maybe you can't see or maybe even you can't even feel or whatever it is. I'm not trying to make this emotional experience. I'm making this an experience that maybe God's speaking to you today. If you're here this morning and you want to put your trust in Christ, the one that might be able to just help you out of the storm or might begin to direct your paths or going to get you to the safe harbor in the sense of your life that would be a place of refuge in him in the midst of the craziness and the chaos. I want you to stand up right now so I can pray for you. Anybody here want to make that statement? Stand. Stand. Anybody else? I want to put my trust in the Lord. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? If you're here this morning and the Lord's tugging on your heart and you're saying, man, I'm working. I'm doing something here. Just letting the Lord speak. It's okay, man. This is a safe place. I see you in the back. I see you here. God's speaking to you. He speaks in a small voice sometimes. It's just in the quietness of your own heart. He's speaking. Father, I pray for those that are standing up this morning. Lord, you know their story. You know their narrative. You know who they are. You know what they need. I'm a man. I don't know that. You do. You're all knowing. And so whatever you're doing to draw them to you, I'm praying your blessings on them right now, Lord. They're calling on your name. 
Just like these men in the boat called on your name. They made a vow. They made a commitment. That's what they're making a commitment now before you this morning. They're calling on your name. I pray your blessings upon them, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would fill them. I thank you and I praise you and I honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for the family. Join in the family here. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.